I have my daughter Grace Victoria with us again, and we had fun talking in our last podcast about trust and about the seasons of life that we go through. And in a winter season, we're we're challenged, and we we kind of highlighted a couple of low points in your journey with the Lord, but how they took you into that deeper place of trust. And I love what you said last time about stewarding over this little seed in your heart that um, was is your trust in, in your relationship with the Lord. And, um, you know, as a mom, I'm just sitting here and I'm just mesmerized by how mature your relationship with the Lord is and how well you communicate it. And um, so I'm just grateful that you were willing to get on the podcast with me. So this time I thought it would be really cool if we kind of fast forward a little bit. Um, We talked about how hard it was for you as a teenager (laughs) moving here to California and, you know, just to kind of full circle with that story, um, your heart really shifted and now you're in a place where you, I assume, are grateful to be here in California. Mm -hmm. Can you just kind of share what, what, what was it like? Any highlights um, that you want to talk about? What it was like growing up as a pastor's kid? And then now, what it's like, that shift and change of living in the Southern culture, um, an environment of the South and our, our roots still being there, um, to kind of how things, how you might see the world differently based on living here on the West Coast and specifically in this amazing, crazy state called California. you want to talk into any of that? Yeah. So growing up a pastor's kid, I don't ever not remember being a pastor's kid. So to me, it just felt completely normal. My whole life kind of revolved around church and I loved it and it just felt normal. I wasn't one of those pastor's kids, just making a generalization that hated the church and secretly rebelled or like in I don't know I didn't have any problems with that um I know all of my sisters had unique experiences and I was the third youngest so I think that I didn't the third oldest you were born third yeah 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 Yeah. (laughs) um I wasn't under as much pressure I guess um being the third because they kind of were pioneers for me, you know, (laughs) they went before me. (laughs) So I just enjoyed friends and grew up the, I would say the only parts that really bothered me was sharing my parents with everyone else because it wasn't Mm -hmm. just church. It was traveling. Um, my dad was out of the country a lot. And so we would have different people come stay with us at the house. And that was not my favorite Um, (laughs) not that I don't love all of you people who stayed with me, but you know, you're not mom and dad. So I think that we kind of, I grew up learning that anytime people always ask my parents and other people that are in ministry or leadership, how do you balance family and how do you balance the church or ministry and make sure that your kids never lose? Well, I think that we both would say, That's not true to think that if you live a life of ministry that your kids will never lose. They just always made sure that we would win more than we would lose, meaning that we got the benefits and the blessings and 
exciting opportunities out of it more than we had to suffer them not being around or sharing them at church all the time and not having access to them like you necessarily would normal parents. Um, And our lives were just a little bit different being in ministry and people pulling on my parents and kind of having expectation on us, all the things that come with being a pastor's kid. But we would get to go and travel with them all over the world. We would get to, I don't know, it was just fun to me. You kind of feel like the center of attention when you're a kid, being a pastor's kid. So some people hate that. I liked that when I was a kid. I was like, yeah, everyone's watching me. (laughs) (laughs) So my oldest sister would probably say the opposite. She hated that, but I was just a kid, so I enjoyed it. But then... Um, yeah. How did, how did it feel for you like when we would travel and we would ask you to help us minister or put you on a prophetic team or help pray over people and lay hands on people? Did that, how did, did you experience that as a negative or a positive? What was that like for you? You know, I think I was so young that I didn't even think of it as abnormal or stretching or I do, I did now, like once I got older, like I'm still growing out of being comfortable in that kind of setting. Um, I'm not naturally one that likes to take the microphone and speak and share on things, but I do do it just because I know that that is supposed to be a normal part of life, being in a relationship with Jesus, loving people, and that's what it looked like when he was on earth, so that's what I want it to look like. But Back in the day, I was on prophetic teams, and I don't think I even really knew what I was doing. It just felt like this is every I've only known this, so this is yeah. what I'm gonna do. Yeah, <laughs> but then <laughs> that's why Jesus talks about being childlike in the Bible because you don't actually know what shame is or embarrassment or fear. I mean, sometimes you do, but I wasn't aware of those things. I was just really innocent minded and pure hearted, and then you get older, then you start worrying about people more. and you give fear a bit more of a voice, at least I did. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had to journey through that, especially leaving that culture because that was my whole world. So it felt like a culture shock, not only when my parents stopped pastoring, but especially moving far away where I didn't have friends to lean back on. I didn't have family to lean back on, except my immediate family, but no relatives or anything. We were just kind of there. Yeah. (laughs) All of a sudden with girls who... Like, it was really difficult for us to find a church to get involved in, Mm -hmm. so I didn't have any of the things that had been stabilizing to me before. Yeah. So really, it was just me and Jesus and my parents, my sisters. And for us, too. I mean, that was was such a huge move coming out here. And people asked me after after we got out here, you know, how is it? How's it been? And I'm like, this is so hard because California doesn't easily in the spirit realm, it doesn't easily open up and welcome you. There is a a definite resistance here. Um, There's a reason why pioneers come here in every area of culture. And there's a reason why many don't survive it and they go back to wherever they came from. Mm -hmm. But I remember just feeling like, um, what have we done to our kids? What have we done to our family? You know, and as hard as it was moving here to California, what was even harder for me was the loss of identity. For so many years, I was a pastor and I knew my role. I knew I had relationships that that were centered around and rooted in 
that being my identity. Mm -hmm. I think for all of us, I remember you girls asking, well, now that we're, I don't remember which one of y'all actually said this, but now that we're not pastor's kids, what are we? And, you know, I I didn't know how to answer it because I felt the same way, Mm -hmm. you know, and it forced all of us to just go to this new place of identity within ourselves, with the Lord, with each other, Mm -hmm. and with people, Yeah, you know, and it's, it's taken time for, um, for that to shift. So, so once the Lord spoke to you, what was next for you once you graduated from high school and we were pretty settled here in the, in the state and got some roots down, um, three years ago, you felt the Lord direct you to mm-hmm. go to Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry. Yep. And your older sister, Justice, had been there one year, and she had come back and mm-hmm. had a great experience herself there. Um, but I remember at one point you thinking, oh, I don't think that that's for me. I don't think I'll be going there. But then clearly God shifted your heart. Yeah. You ended up there. Can you give us, um, just continuing on talking about things that 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 God has been doing in your own life. Can you give us some just core values? And I'll start you off on one. I just heard you say the most profound thing. And you do this all the time. You don't even realize you're doing it. But you say these profound, like, treasures um, that that I'm like, wait, if I, had, if I had understood that at Grace's age, my goodness. But just a moment ago, you said... Um, not giving something about not giving fear a voice. Mm-hmm. And that definitely is something that's been added to you in your experience, um, this next part yeah. of your journey, and that just happened to be at Bethel. And what can you talk more into that? Not giving fear a voice. And then mm-hmm. any other highlights of things that you feel like they're core values that you're taking with you after these three, three years there? Yeah. So I think that most. Of the thoughts that come into our minds are either the root of love or the root of fear mm. and wow just because you have those voices in your head doesn't mean that you are locked in it it's more so if you give it a voice and if you feed into it because at any given moment I can choose to give love a more powerful voice than fear but it takes an action so it does take courage to come against that um, it's so powerful. Yeah, it's really difficult. It's not necessarily a fun process. Like fear, I feel like the only way to really get out of fear, you can't just like wait around for it to go away or process your way out of it. Hmm. You actually have to do the opposite and hmm. feed love and not fear. So for me in school, they they stretch you in all kinds of fun ways and things that were really outside my comfort zone, things that I did easily as a kid back in church under my parents covering, but it feels so different when you are no longer the big fish in a small pond. You are, everyone is a small fish in a giant pond there because (laughs) there's people from all over the world and they're all incredible. They're all powerful. They all have like incredible places that they're headed to. You can just see it on everyone's lives. So for me, the first year of school was really challenging for multiple reasons. One, being outside of the house and away from my family for the first time ever, it's like an Were you eight. 18 when you mm-hmm. went? Yeah. It's an eight-hour drive, eight hours north, all the way to a little town in Reading. Didn't know anybody. Didn't really know why I was there because I didn't want to go. I think that, well, that's another story, but I, I didn't want to go. 
and I felt like the Lord kept opening the door. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I just got to go the only place that I feel like the Lord is speaking or highlighting. And I still wasn't sure, but I was, that was my journey with trust once again. Yeah. <laughs> so I go and it's really stretching. And I think that I became aware for the first time that I was giving fear a voice because that's the first step is knowing what voice you're feeding. And I, you don't really realize how many fears you have until you're asked to look at them and face them. Mm. And they do a good job of helping you look at fear <laughs> at Bethel, um, which was really good for me. So the first year was a lot of me getting outside of my comfort zone and not having family to hide behind or be my confidence. It really was just me and the Lord. And where is my identity rooted? And if it comes from my family or our identity as a whole, then that's not healthy. And that's me being hidden. And people should be aware that even though we have a relationship with, um, with Bill Johnson and Chris Vallotton, they were not necessarily even aware that Grace was there. There was no special privileges a, given to her or, you know, I was she a wasn't known. tiny little speck of dust on a star in the universe. <laughs> That's how it felt. <laughs> That's how it felt because yeah, I, I just had to go out of my way and make relationships and yeah, she had to blaze yeah, her own it's a trail huge there. Very group much. of people in first year also. There's like yes. almost two thousand students. It's crazy. Yeah. And then I didn't want to do second year because I was like, oh, that was so uncomfortable. It was really good for me. I'm so glad I did all that, but I don't want to do it again. But God told me to. So I did second year. And just so you know, it's a lot more fun than just getting over fear. But this was this is what I'm highlighting right now. So I became more aware of what I was actually doing, getting outside of my comfort zone. And God was giving me language for it. Like, mm-hmm. Are you going to choose and feed that voice or are you going to feed my voice? Because wow. ultimately that is rooted in Satan and this is rooted in me and my love. And this is what's going to grow you and give you life mm-hmm. and take you to the next step. And this is a huge part of trusting me because if fear is on your journey with you, you can't actually be elevated because fear is always going to keep you back and hold you down. So I continued on that in second year and I feel like I had so much breakthrough in second year. And there was a lot going on in my second year outside of school, just family things. And I was having more problems with my health. That's another story. But I got to the point where I so didn't even care that I just completely let go of all of the fear and I just lived life. And I can't explain to you how freeing it was to just be like, I can love people and I can figure out who I am and how I want to be and how I want to interact and what kind of leader I want to be without always thinking about how other people are perceiving me or what's right, what's wrong. Like I would overanalyze everything. So it was really freeing for me to just be like, I have my eyes completely on you, Lord, for the first time. And I'm only giving love a voice in my life. And that elevated me so much more. And ultimately, like as I moved forward in my second year, it was incredible. And I ended up getting an offer for an amazing internship for my third year, which I'm in right now. And just actually seeing the practical evidence of what feeding love looks like Mm -hmm. and where it takes you and how much happier you live in your life. Mm -hmm. Very empowering, very freeing. And so when you say giving love a voice, I, I, I can relate to the not giving fear a voice because mm-hmm. I know 
very much what fear sounds like. Mm -hmm. What does it sound like to, to give love a voice? Is it like where you're, you're thinking rather than thinking, you know, I'm not good enough. I don't measure up or whatever. It's thinking I'm loved. I'm valued. I'm safe. Yeah. I think that it can sound like different things for everyone. Um, sometimes for me, it was a really quiet whisper in the face of fear. And it looked like me having to get really still and really quiet. And sometimes not like I could have a train of thought that would lead down fear and all the what ifs, all the what ifs and unraveling and like not even just in the context of school Mm -hmm. and like being brave to minister or whatever. It was just things that I was struggling with personally with my health and family things and so on. So for me, it looked like all of a sudden I would feel this nudge in my heart when I would go down these long trails of what if and worst case scenario and, oh, how could I actually live in this lifestyle and embrace the hard life that I'm going to have to live and be positive anyways. All of a sudden I would feel like this nudge in my heart, like, what are you doing? And then I would like cut it off and I would say, I'm not even going to go there. That's an unhealthy train of thought that I know for a fact that that is not what my father says about my life. It's based in fear. It's based in fear. So I would get completely still and quiet and I would not even go there. And I would just ask the Lord, what do you think right now? Like, what do you think about me? What do you think about where I'm going in life? Or I would even keep it smaller. Like if you can't look at a big picture, just keep shrinking the picture until you can go there personally. Hmm. So for me, I was like, what does success look like today? Wow. And this day, what does success look like? Because it's different for every person. For one person, it could be like going and getting a hundred people saved in the street. (laughs) But for me, it could just look like showing up and smiling at all the people I see at school today and being authentic and maybe prophesying over one person or whatever like it doesn't have to look like that but essentially giving love a voice is giving the father a voice and letting him be your your first connection and the first thing that you choose to look at every day Mm -hmm. and and saying hey what does success look like for me today and like how are we going to do it together because it can be fun sometimes success is not actually a spiritual thing and it's Mm -hmm. just really fun like oh let's go hiking together and just hang out or let's you know go call some of your friends and go hang out and just chill out for a while or go be creative and go write music and sing at the piano it's just it's not necessarily serious and it's not necessarily the most spiritual thing you can think of I was always shocked by by what love would tell me so that's why all that to say is love is basically the voice of a father in your life who is affirming you and being involved in the details of your life, not necessarily the crises and the big picture yeah, things. Because good. he's savior over the hard points in your life, of course. But if that's all we go to is when we're in crisis, that just probably isn't very relational, isn't very an honest connection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If we're in friendship with God, then you have to actually treat him like you would if you're going to call a friend up. You o- you don't only ask them, okay, I'm in panic right now. What do I do? Right. How do I get out of this? You're right. like, I did this today. It was really fun. You want to go hang out? Like, yeah. You don't have to over-spiritualize or make everything an emergency in your heart. You know, and as from <clears throat> an older person's perspective, um, 
someone who's in the season of life of paying bills and raising kids and just the normal harder parts of life for for me what that looks and sounds like is um, like you said not giving fear a voice and I found myself over the years like looking at God in the middle of of what felt like crisis to me and mm-hmm. trying to find worry in his face. <clears throat> like I needed him to be as concerned and worried as mm-hmm. I was. And I don't know about you, but I have never found worry or concern in my father's face. Mm-hmm. No matter what the circumstance was in front of me or how mm-hmm. impossible something looks. And sometimes it, it's almost offensive because you want him to panic. You want to feel like, but that's that's fear. That's a voice of fear. That's not a voice of love. Love is a power. Love is God and God is power mm-hmm. and God is love. And so there's this powerful love that he is and that he has mm-hmm. that is confident mm-hmm. and sure and never shaken. And it's, it's the most stable thing we could ever hope for. And, um, so kind of what I hear you saying about giving love a voice is this place of looking into the Father's face and on any given day, at any given moment or in, in the face of any situation and hearing this, this voice of confidence and love and power that, that has solutions and answers, so much so that sometimes he's not even ready to tell you the solution and answer that he already has. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes it's in the mystery and it's in the waiting and you don't actually have to have a game plan because that's he's father, so he's the one that is a shepherd and looking out at the trail ahead, and you are the sheep. So yeah. you don't always have to know the plan. You just follow your shepherd and trust that he's going to protect you and keep you and that's take so you good. to green fields, you know. Oh, she's preaching to my heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, would you be willing to pray over those that are um, watching and listening into just some of what you've been talking about? Yeah. We'll close with that. <clears throat> yeah. Lord, I just ask that your presence would come and that we would be even more mm-hmm. aware of you and where you are in any given day at any given moment, that you would show yourself as a good shepherd and a good father yeah. because you are. Yeah. And we love that about you. Lord, I ask that you would just be our gentle reminder that you would be the nudge in someone's heart, that we would be able to be aware of that nudge of when we're giving fear a voice, that we would cut it off at the source, Lord, Mm -hmm. and be able to look at you and say, but what do you say and where are you right now? Because I don't think that you're in the same place that my mind is traveling down. So God, I ask for your gentle reminder, for your love. And I thank you that you are a good, good shepherd and that we can trust you to be our protector, our keeper, and our ultimate leader, Lord. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us. And we hope that you will tell more people about our podcast and how they can subscribe. Some of you probably prefer podcasts. Some of you might prefer video. So we provide both for you. And um, we would love for you to help us get the word out about um, just some of our resources and how maybe these videos and podcasts have encouraged you. So thanks for joining us.